It's a special day. You guys are going to see how short I am up here next to these two. <clears throat> and Wes, I can only call him little baby Wes for so long. I know he's going to tower over me one day. Um, you know, this is, this is something special. This is, uh, it's not, dedicating a baby is not necessarily something that's like commanded in scripture. It's not necessarily one of the ordinances that we do. Last week in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we read, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to, to present him to the Lord. We see that they had this sort of this practice of, of presenting their, their children to the Lord. It goes back, like in the Old Testament, we, we see it with Hannah. Um, and, and with Wes, like, man, I, I didn't, don't choose the songs, but the last song got, gets me all very emotional because that song, uh, shot Kleenex, that song came out when we lost a child in miscarriage. And it was our first child. And, and so that, that whole circumstance in our life really affected how we viewed our other children, really like with open hands to the Lord that God gives and he takes and we bless his name regardless of what he does. And I know you guys had a, a rough, rough start. Wes was in the NICU for a while. And, and so when they reached out to, to dedicate him, of course we would do that. And we didn't know that song was coming. So what today really is about, it's, it's sort of like, it, it's, it's sort of twofold. Number one, we're praying for, for little, little Wes that he would uh, come to know the Lord, that he would walk with the Lord all the days of his life. And I think even more importantly, that we're praying for, for mom and dad that, they'd give, that he would give you guys wisdom in raising little Wes and sort of them sort of in there going through the NICU experience. I know there was a lot of trauma around that and a lot of fear and once you become a parent, there's sort of like you realize how little in control you are over this like miracle of a life that God has blessed you with. And so in many respects, it's, it's them saying, Lord, he's yours and we want to honor you with him. And so with that, we're going we're gonna to pray. Um, so can I, can I hold the little guy? He's normally pretty good with me. I know. Yeah, he's, I've, I've had the heavy model before. Okay. <laughs> They just kind of stopped, you know, and I think he's going to keep going. Well, let's pray for little Wes, and, and uh, um, Father, we just uh, thank you uh, for today. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for children and the blessing that they are. Father, we pray uh, for, for Sean and Megan that you would just help them, Lord, as, as parents, Lord, that you, would, um, that you would give them wisdom in raising little Wes, that you would help them to trust you. And Father, that you would just lead them all the days uh, that, as parents. And Father, we do pray for, for little Wes, Lord, that you would have your hand upon him. I pray that he would come to know you at an early age and that he would walk with you all the days of his life, that he would uh, that lead a life that is pleasing to you and honorable to you, uh, that he would make his parents uh, proud. Um, Father, we just... We just thank you for him and the gift that he is. And I pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Hey, you did awesome, buddy. So, and then we had a couple of gifts for you, a Bible. And so, so there you go. Promise Sean no touchy-feely up here. So, you know, <laughs> I think he was worried that everybody was going to come and put their hands on him. And, and so... Uh, with, with that, um, the kids who do go to Sunday school can go to Sunday school. Um, I don't know if some people were, were going to dismiss themselves, but today we find ourselves at the very end of, of Luke. So we're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses, uh, we'll start at verse 40 to the end of the chapter. 
So the very end of, of Luke chapter 2. Uh, hang on one second here. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the life of Jesus. We thank you, um, Lord, as we're, we're in Luke, we're kind of just beginning, and it's, it's, the story is just beginning to unfold before our eyes. And so, Father, we pray uh, that as we look at this snapshot in young Jesus's life, Lord, that you would help us to see why you included it here, that we would gain lessons from this passage as we ease into the gospel of Luke. We are just deeply grateful for your word. We thank you for the story of Christ and how he came to live a perfect life, that he would make the perfect sacrifice on our behalf uh, so that we might have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your grace more and more. Help us to see our inability uh, to gain uh, redemption on our own, and that it's only by your grace through the work of Jesus on the cross that we can approach you. And we thank you that his death, burial, and resurrection was and is sufficient for us once and for all. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 40. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let's pray. Father, we again, we again thank you for this passage. We ask that you would lead us now. Lord, help us to understand what was said and the significance of it. I pray that the story would come alive uh, to us. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. I need to get a little tissue here because of the baby dedication here. Um, okay, so we're in this story. Luke is very different from the other Gospels. Luke gives us sort of 
um, these, these entry stories about young Jesus. The other gospels sort of begin basically at 30 years old in his earthly ministry when he was out of the gates sort of running. The gospel of Luke sort of backs things up. If this was a movie, we would have some like really just quick snapshots of, uh, you know, the, the angel coming to Mary and Joseph. And then last week we see at eight days old, we see this, this dedication in the temple. And then today we fast forward 12 years and we get this, this story again at the temple where Jesus is growing and maturing, uh, becoming a man and preparing for his earthly ministry. Uh, the story is, is, is very interesting for, I don't know how many of you view it as a Christmas movie, but in our house for the first time this year, I thought my boys were old enough to watch Home Alone and they really loved it. Anna hates the movie. She thinks it's stupid. I like slapstick humor. And so my, like just watching me watching my boys dying of laughter as, they're, as the kids fending off the bad guys, it was like epic. And so it's kind of not exactly the same thing that happened here, but is, is, <laughs> is close enough to my watching the movie that it's like there's some, some things that are standing out to me. And so the story's bookend. If you see uh, verse 20, I think it was, verse 40, excuse me, we see the child continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. At the very end, we see in Jesus, verse 52, kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So we have Jesus, the, uh, the theological term that we see is the hypostatic union of Christ. That meant he's fully God and he's fully man. And so in these younger years, he's a boy that, that while he is God, he's also fully human, uh, except with, he's without sin and he's growing and he's maturing. And we're seeing these, these pictures of him. And so we read in verse 41, every year the parents went up to the feast uh, of the Passover. Every year around the springtime, they would go up and they would celebrate, which was commanded of the Jewish people annually to celebrate the story found in Exodus. They were slaves down in Egypt and they were pleading with the Egyptians to let them go. The series of plagues came. Finally, the last plague came that if you put blood on the doorpost, that God would pass over that house and spare the firstborn son. And if there was not blood on the post, then your firstborn son would be taken. And so every year they remembered this deliverance. They were supposed to do this forever. They still celebrate the Passover. It's around Easter time. And so as parents, we see that their lives were marked with this pattern of walking with God, serving God, doing the rituals of the things that they were supposed to do every year. Jesus's life from birth until 12 years old at this point, every year they made the journey, 80, miles, 80 mile journey from Nazareth down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem, if you count going up to the hill, they went down to the south and then they went up the hill just to clarify. And so when he's 12 years old, they went there according to the custom of the feast. And I think right away, this story just happens. Like we're dedicating West, but this happens to be the, where we are in the story. I think it's as parents, this is something, uh, when I look at the life of Mary and Joseph and the early life of Jesus, we see this, this priority that was given within their household of serving and walking and worshiping with God. Um, I think this is something that for parents, that this is something that we should, 
imitate in our lives, that we should prioritize uh, being within fellowship. Certainly this isn't like legalistic. Like, I, like I'm going to be on vacation next Sunday. So if like I'm not in church, that doesn't mean that I've like walked away from God. It just like, but, but the pattern of my life is like, no, for me and my family, like we're at church and we're worshiping and we will be in church just in Spain. We'll be in a different church. Um, but the pattern of our lives is marked with like, no, I'm in church, not because I'm a pastor. I'm in church because I'm a follower of Christ. And I, and I think this is important. And I want my kids to know that this is important and this is a priority. And so they did. And in verse 43, as they were returning, after spending the full number of days at the Passover, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So kind of so far, bless you, it seems okay. Like it could, it could be that they knew Jesus was staying behind. So they spent their time, Jesus stayed behind, but we're going to get more of the story, but his parents were unaware of it. There's the problem. <laughs> like, the, like mom and dad didn't realize that Jesus stayed behind. They supposed him to be in the caravan. Now, this is important. The way that they would journey, the, the whole community, they were from Nazareth, uh, their, their family, their friends, they would all make the journey together. Often the caravan, the, the women would be on one side, the men would be on the other, and the kids would kind of like run back and forth between the two groups and their own sort of thing. Um, Jesus was at an age where he sort of found himself sort of at that, that, that pinnacle, but somewhere between like the child category and the adult category. category. He's, he's right there. Jesus wasn't the only child. We know that from scripture that Jesus had siblings. We had a number of sisters. He had brothers. And so this, he's the oldest. And so there's a lot of kids. They would make their journey. The kids would run around. They're, they're going on the journey down. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on the parents, I haven't seen Jesus. So Mary runs to Joseph, because I'm sure she's the one who noticed. And <laughs> I mean, this is reality. Um, hey, have you, seen, have you seen Joseph? Or Jesus, Joseph, have you seen Jesus? I think it was with you. I haven't seen him. I don't think I've seen him. I saw a bunch of little kids around here. Maybe I'll, you know. And so they're looking around. Like this is a lot of times on Sundays, a lot of times I'll see like Heidi Rouse will look at me. She's like, have you seen the man child, Caleb? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in my office with my boys. Like he's good. Like you're, but it's like the community is kind of looking out. Like everybody's like, no, nah, I haven't seen Jesus. So they have a problem here. And they went on a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they're like all spread out. They're spending this time. They're looking for the man child. They're not finding him. And I can only imagine the mother's heart freaking out. I don't know what Joseph was doing. Like he was saying, everything's okay. He's 12. He'll be fine. He knows the way home. Like he's like, like, like you just don't know the dynamic. But you, we know in the story that Mary for sure is freaking out, I think is a technical term. So verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. So they make their way back up the mountain looking for him. Then after three days, I like there are certain things about some stories in the Bible that I wish we had like the video of. Like is Joseph going, he's probably at home. He's probably already home by now. We should just go back, just leave. And Mary's like, no, no, no. My mom gut is telling me he's here and I got to find him. I got to track him down. After three days, they find him in the temple, sitting in the midst of teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. 
So I think my, uh, my boy, he's just on the verge of 12, Gideon. Like he's not, he's not exactly big. He's 12. He's not exactly uh, finished all of the, the rigors of his academia. And so I have Gideon in my mind for what's happening here. They go to the temple during this festival. So all of like the leading scholars, religious scholars of the world are there. And they're looking for Jesus and they see a crowd of, you know, Chuck Smith, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, like any like guy you can think of who's like this, the, the religious scholar. And then there's this like kid dialoguing with them. I don't think I've made it that far. So in the, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions, and they're amazed. So you have this 12-year-old boy like, hey, what do you think about, what do you think about the hypostatic union of, or whatever? You know, like, I don't know what he's asking them. And these guys are like, that's a really good question. I don't know, this is what I think. And so Jesus, that's a pretty good answer, you know? Like, but what do you think about this other thing? What, what do you think about free choice and the sovereignty of God? Oh, yeah, this is, they're all, you know, he's throwing all the hand grenades out and then they're asking him, well, what do you think about this? And he answers them, and you're like, man, who is this kid? Like, they're all amazed. Like, they're astonished. The crowd is looking at this 12-year-old kid interacting with the most respected leaders of the day and of the temple. He's handling his own, and it just leads to, to amazement. But then mom enters the picture, and his mom said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. As far as Mary is concerned, this is just her son, 12-year-old kid. She's, she's less concerned at this point about like what's going on. They're all astonished. But Mary's like, how could you do this to us? Like we've been looking for you for three days and you're here the whole time. Couldn't you have texted us? Like, couldn't you have called us? Couldn't you have done something to let us know that, hey, I'm going to stay behind? Like she's furious. It's like she's worried to death that something bad happened to him. And she's going, Joseph, when I find that kid, I'm going to kill him. You know? And so now that point is happening and so he responds, and he said to them, why is it that you are looking for me? And I just, like, as a father, I'm reading that going, son, you don't talk to your mother that way. Like, this is, this is like, like my reaction to think about me at 12 years old and how I would have spoken. We got a problem because that's not what happened. We know this is Jesus. We know Jesus didn't sin. So right away, our thinking is going the wrong direction. But he said, hey, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Or it could be translated about my father's business is another way the Greek text could handle that. And so he's like, why are you guys looking for me? Didn't you know? Didn't, don't, aren't, aren't you aware that I'm supposed to be doing this? And so we know that Jesus didn't sin. Like throughout his life, he lived a perfect life in his humanity uh, he had the capacity to sin, but in his deity, he didn't have the capacity. He struggled with the temptations that we struggle with. And so here's this moment. It's very easy for us to, to like interject like a sinful tone from Jesus to his parents because those transitional years are like really difficult. Like from my own history, like that whole from going from boyhood to manhood, 
that, that period about where you want to be an adult and yet your parents are still there, it's really difficult. And I didn't do it sin-free. I did a whole lot of sin in my, my breaking out of, of this. And so it's very easy for me to read that sort of disposition, but we know that's not the case with Jesus. And looking at the bookends, verse 40 and verse 52, we know that from birth until Jesus's public ministry, which we begin to see next week, it's John the Baptist comes, but Jesus makes, we fast forward 18 years next week to look at the earthly ministry of Jesus. So we know from birth until 30, he, that's the Bible app. They're just looking, it's happened to, it's happened to the best of us. It's okay. I can attest that that was Bible, so um, <clears throat> it's okay. Um, he's growing in maturity. He's, he's growing in stature, so he's growing physically. He's, he's growing intellectually and knowing how he's supposed to interact in certain circumstances because when we read these passages, he continued to grow and to be strong, increasing in wisdom, verse 40. And then increasing in wisdom again, verse 52, that indicates like that, that Jesus from, we, we can't say he sinned, but from day one to day two, day one, he acted more immature than he did on day two. And then on day three, he acted with more maturity than he did on day two. So he's growing. And I think that there's a, a lesson here for, for a lot of people. I mean, this is, I, I want to say for parents, but for anybody who has to deal with anybody, how we assess like what a person's doing, there's a distinction between a person acting with like a lack of maturity and a person acting sinfully or in rebellion. Um, and it's so hard on both, like it's so difficult to exercise that judgment. So it's like parents in particular, we, we absolutely need like wisdom to know like, okay, if my child is acting with immaturity, I can't expect my 12-year-old to act like a 50-year-old man that has a lot of life experience. So I, like if he does something with immaturity, how I respond to immaturity is very different to how I respond to rebellion and uh, a sinful nature. And this is where it's like, Lord, help me. Like, this is part of like a child dedication is like the parents saying, like, I need help deciphering this because if we, if we respond to immaturity, like, there's, like it's a sinful thing, you can do a lot of damage. And if you don't act with discipline on a rebellious situation or a sinful spirit, you can create a lot of damage. And so it really takes a lot of wisdom uh, as parents. And the problem is none of us are God, like all of us are sinful and we all struggle with like figuring out that balance. And so here they are. They're faced with this. Mary's clearly upset. Jesus responds like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, you, like don't you remember the whole angel talking to you, like declaring that you're gonna give birth to God's son? Like, soy yo, it is me. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm the one. So I, it's about time you guys start treating me like I'm God. But I don't think that's a difference. See, even there, am I, am I recreating that story? That's a sinful sort of abuse of power. But Jesus basically says, you should know that I 
like am about my father's business. You should have known that I was here. But verse 50, we're told, but they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And so here, mom and dad, yes, they had the angel appear to both of them, explaining this child that would be born. As he grew, they saw things, and I'm sure they saw evidences of, of, of that, who this child was. Certainly Mary understood that she was a virgin when she conceived this child. Like she of anybody, like Joseph, I think, knew, but I, I'm just putting myself in his shoes. I think there was always, there could have been, I'm not saying there always was. In my mind, there would always be that like, this is so, like a weird story. Like the other ones came the normal way. Like, like the, but Mary knew. But here we're told that they didn't understand the statement that was told to them by Jesus. So even in all of the revelation that God gave them, there was sort of like a disconnect from their reality in raising Jesus from what they had been revealed to them. And there's this guy, Erdersheim, it's a Jewish guy. He, he's really, really old. I mean, he's dead, but he was like from a long, long time ago. <laughs> and he wrote the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. And in this very archaic writing, he says, these three subsidiary reasons may once more be indicated here in the explanation of the virgin mother's seeming ignorance of her son's true character. So he lists a bunch of things. He says, what I'm about to say, these are some ideas for why she might have been ignorant to who her son was in this moment. And he writes, the necessary gradualness of such a revelation, the necessary development of his own consciousness, and the fact that Jesus could not have been subject to his parents, nor had true and proper human training if they had clearly known that he was the essential son of God. So what that is saying in layman's terms, in order for Jesus to be subject to all temptations as we are, he needed a mom and dad that thought he was just a kid. Bless you. And so Jesus was raised with a Jewish mother. And now I don't know if Rick Receive was right here. Rick Restivo's daughter, Becca, she was here a couple weeks ago. I love Becca. Over the years, she's called me for various things. And hearing her talk, she's like, I'm afraid to talk to my mom. And I'm like, why are you afraid to talk to your mom? This isn't a big deal. She's like, you've never been raised by a Jewish mother. And my mom's a Jewish lady. And the way she handles everything, I'm like, Becca, you're killing me. But so when I read this story, I hear Becca. And so here Jesus, he has to have this Mom, who's going to treat him just like a 12-year-old supposed to be treated because he was tempted in all things as we were tempted. As a 12-year-old, if you're sitting in church today and you're a 12-year-old and you're having problems subjecting yourself to your parents, you can turn to Jesus and know that he was a 12-year-old also, and he was tempted in that same way as you are being tempted now. And this is huge. So Jesus knows who he is. He's arguing with the scholars. I'm not even arguing with them. He's, he's putting them to shame in his dialogue. They're all astonished by him. Mom comes out in a very humiliating way. What have you done to me and your father? How could you do this? She's like, Mom, I'm with John MacArthur and all these guys. And like, like I'm trying to like, now my mom's like grabbing me by the ear. It's so embarrassing. Like, that's not how he responded. He's like, don't you know who I am? And then verse 51, and he went down with them 
And he came to Nazareth and he continued in, subject, in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all of these things in her heart. So we see this confrontation. We see that he's on this like, he's like ready to go. He's ready to get this whole like, this ministry of being the Messiah, that three-year window going. But he has 18 more years to go before he launches into that. So his mom confronts him. And he subjects himself and he goes down the hill and he goes home with his parents. In Hebrews 5.8, we read this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. I don't, I think Jesus, like what he was doing, what he was called and sent to do to challenge these religious leaders, to show them grace, to show them how they had so misunderstood the things of the Old Testament, to show them how the Father works. And he's like, just ready to go. But he needed more time in his humanity to mature and to grow in wisdom and stature. And Hebrews says that he's learning obedience from the things which he suffered. And maybe in this moment, going home with mom and dad was, that was hugely painful for him. The guy Erdersheim, he continued and he said a further, though it seems to us a downward step, he was quiet, immediate, unquestioning return to Nazareth with his parents and his willing submission to them while there. It was self-denial, self-sacrifice, self-consecration, to his mission with all that it implied. It was not self-examination. That means, eg, wait, it's an old word. Exodination, which means an emptying, like that he emptied himself to do this. I had to look it up. But self-submission, all the more glorious in proportion to the greatness of that self. Um, I heard it this week. I don't know who is the originator of the saying, but the saying goes, Basically, like this, you can tell a person's maturity by their reaction more than you can their action. We can do all of the things to look mature, and then something doesn't go our way. How do you react? And here, Jesus, they're all astonished by his action, his teaching, his working, but his mom coming and saying, son, why did you do this to us? And his saying, okay, let's go home. That's a reaction. He didn't throw a temper tantrum. He didn't do anything. And that demonstrates great maturity. And, and I want to be more like Jesus in how I react to things. It's a, like so hard because the flesh is so strong. And so then we read in verse 52, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. We see that he's maturing. He still has 18 years to go. Next, next week, we'll fast forward 18 years. But so here we have the story. And like, what do we do with this passage? Um, I think kind of going back to like the, the practical parenting, interacting with people. I think it's really important for us to not jump to conclusions, to take the time to sort of investigate, to ask questions, to sort of, when we're confronted with somebody, whether it be a child, a coworker, a friend, to try to get to the heart of, of the matter and the issue. 
to determine is this person, like what they're doing, is this like sinful? Is this acting in rebellion or is this acting in immaturity? Because how you respond to those two, two things are, are totally different. And I think so often we're quick to go down a road based on our, our very quick assumptions and our very quick reactions versus uh, taking the time to sort of get the story behind the story to, to better understand how we should react or how we should advise, how we should counsel the situation. As a pastor, this is something that's like super hard for me because I'm so like quick to make judgments just in my, not, not, in, a, not in a bad way, just how I was wired. I'm just a really quick like, but a lot of times I can be wrong. And so I need to work on slowing myself down in assessing things. And even more so as a parent, especially when I have kids that are just like me. So it's like super easy for me to like assume that they're doing something sinful, even though it's just immaturity and that I need to help them grow in their maturity with the Lord. And I'm so glad that God does both with us, right? Like that we can be immature. God is patient. He's kind. He leads us. He guides us. He helps us along the way. At the same time, if we're rebellious, sinful, giving our finger to God, he's very quick to discipline us. And, and the discipline is a good thing. Like as he disciplines us, he leads us to righteousness and he leads us to himself and he leads us to see that we desperately need him. And then when I look at this story, like as we look at the onlookers, as we look at the parents, at this young Jesus, they were amazed. They were astonished. They were in absolute awe of Jesus's teaching, of his explanation, of his questioning, how he handled things. And I think so often for us as, as Americans, we become so familiarized with Christianity and, and Christian culture that we grow apathetic to who Jesus really is. And my prayer for us is that we would find ourselves more in awe and astonished with the person of Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his example. I thank you, Lord, that uh, he lived in a way that he could ultimately go to the cross and suffer and die for us. I thank you that our relationship with you is based on grace alone. We thank you that we come to you uh, by faith, receiving a gift, and through Jesus' work on the cross, we can enter into this relationship with you. We thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. I pray for each person here, Lord, this, these, this understanding of who Christ is it might be new. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in each one of our lives to, to lead us along so that we would understand who Jesus is, what he did for us. If we have questions, I pray, Father, that you would lead us in the right place to find the answers to the questions that we seek. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.